Father, we're so thankful. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you, O oh God, because you give us a peace that is beyond uh, worldly understanding. Because your word says that my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Um, the world's peace is determined by circumstances. Our peace is determined by your presence. So Lord, we give you thanks, O oh God, because the increase of your government and peace, there is no end. We continue to grow and grow in peace as we press into everything that you have for us. Heavenly Father, we ask right now that as we spend a few minutes in the word, Holy Spirit, we give you um, room this morning. Um, light our candles and lighten our darkness. Give us insight into the things of the kingdom. We give you thanks for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, last week I began to speak on the topic, the technology of blood, the technology of blood. And um, I'm going to continue that this week and complete it um, next week. In fact, the whole series um, called the same name began um, a few weeks back. The very first session was titled The Way of Eden. Uh, the second message was titled Appearing in Zion. And then um, The Technology of Blood, Part 1. Well, the text for this, the, uh, this teaching is taken from Exodus chapter 4, verse 25. Um, we read this last week, but I will repeat it again um, just, for, um, just as a reminder. It says, then Zipporah, that's uh, Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, that's the Lord, let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Because of the circumcision. Uh, and I said last week that uh, that phrase, you are a husband of blood to me, was an indication that in um, Zipporah's dealings with uh, Moses, blood was a common theme. Uh, blood was a common theme. And you know, when you go through scripture, you can't go very far without coming across a sacrifice of blood. Blood is fundamental when it comes to accessing the kingdom of God. The understanding of blood, the understanding of the significance of blood um, in the kingdom is vital for you and I to access what we have in Christ and our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why blood? Why is blood so important? Well, the answer to that is given in Leviticus 17, verse 11. I'll read the New King James Version. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So this thing called atonement cannot um, be effected without blood, okay? So God says he has given us blood upon the altar for the atonement of your souls, for it is blood that makes atonement for the soul. Uh, I like to read the, King, uh, the New Living Translation of that verse because it, it gives it more clarity. It says, for the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you 
making you right with the Lord. So, in other words, we can't be made right with the Lord without blood. It is blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. In the writing to the Hebrews, Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is, no, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. Earlier on it says, blood was given for atonement of the soul. Without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for the soul. And to understand what atonement means, atonement speaks about a restoration of fellowship. So without the shedding of blood, there is no restoration of fellowship. See how fundamental it is when it comes to our relationship with God. It says, uh, atonement is the restoration of fellowship by making equitable reparation for the injury caused. So, atonement brings restoration. Restoration as a result of um, uh, a repair being made by paying the penalty of injury that has been caused. You know, we saw last week that the word life is the Hebrew word nefesh, which actually speaks about the soul. So the soul of the flesh is in the blood. The soul of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, the spiritual part of man, the, the presence of the spiritual part of man, which you could call the soul, um, is linked to the blood. And we understand that because if the blood of a human being is shed completely, if the blood is lost, then the soul is ejected from the body. So the physical impacts the spiritual. Um, we have established that everything that is physical um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, a, a portal, as it were, is a copy of a substance that is spiritual. So Blood, physical blood, is a copy of something. Physical blood represents something. It represents the soul because when blood is shed, the spiritual part of man is ejected from the body. So purification, atonement, is only possible through the blood because when the blood is shed, the soul is offered. The soul is offered. That is the only currency that will atone for sin. Sin has to be atoned for by the offering of a pure soul. Sin has to be atoned for by the offering of a pure soul. The guilty cannot atone for the guilty. Okay? It has to be a pure soul that atones for the damage that is caused by the sin of humanity because sin is spiritual. Sin is spiritual. So you need a spiritual thing, a spiritual substance to atone, to repair um, the effect of sin in a life. So the guilty cannot atone for the guilty. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sins shall die. So for the sin of man, there was no 
one found that could effectively atone for the sin of man. Because for, for sin to be atoned for, for restoration to happen, it had to be atoned for by a pure soul. You know, in Romans chapter 3 verse 10, the Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. No, not one. So after the fall of man, um, there was no one on earth that could atone for the sin of another because all had sinned. So God instituted a law of sacrifices as a type and a shadow of an atonement or a complete atonement that was going to be procured by his lamb. So in the Old Testament, the blood of a lamb, the blood of a goat or bull was needed to be used for atonement. It had to be a lamb, a bull, or a goat that was without blemish, that was without defect. And when that lamb was offered, when the blood was shed and the soul was offered, that soul atoned for sin. It atoned for sin. And that's what we're going to explore in greater depth today. If you study the Old Testament, you see that they had a lot of different um, offerings that they offered in the tabernacle. They had trespass offerings, for instance. So whenever somebody recognized that they had committed sin, um, they brought a trespass offering to the Lord. But you know, there are a lot of sins we commit. There's a lot of damage we cause um, that we don't even know about. So once a year, the sins of the whole nation were forgiven by the Lord through a process um, called uh, on the day called Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. This was a necessary, um, a, a necessary process that ensured that the sins of, um, of the nation of Israel was forgiven. It was necessary, but it was an imperfect process because the soul or the blood of an animal could never atone for the sins of man. However, for a year, it was powerful enough to cover their sins and allow uh, them to enjoy their covenant with God. So we're going to read through the process that um, the high priest went through on the Day of Atonement. And we're going to understand the significance of every step and, and the story it tells us about our salvation. You know, we're talking about the technology of blood. We're talking about a structured process, a process that is done on earth, that dials into substance in the realm of the spirit. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are an ascending church, a church that ascends to heaven and descends. And in order to receive substance from heaven, we need to transact and we need to understand um, um, what the, the, the substance that the copy on earth actually dials into. Uh, so let's open our Bibles to the book of Leviticus um, chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. I'm going to be reading that this morning. 
and uh, we're going to be reading the New Living Translation. So we're going to go through this process that um, Israel went through once a year, uh, uh, where the blood of sacrifice was shed, uh, and it procured atonement for their sins. Leviticus chapter 16, I'm going to start reading verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses. This is the New Living Translation again. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. If you want to know more about that, you can go to Leviticus chapter 10 and read um, that story. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain um, whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. So we know that in the tabernacle of Moses, which was built according to the specific instruction of the Lord, there were three compartments. There was the outer court, there was the holy place, and there was the most holy place. There was a thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And in the most holy place, there was what was called the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant had within it the tablets of stones of the Ten Commandments, which were handwritten by God himself. We had um, the rod of Aaron that budded. We had the fresh manna. And then above that chest, or the Ark of Covenant, was a cover. On that cover was um, made of one piece of gold, the cover, and two cherubim. Two cherubim, uh, large cherubim with wings outstretched, touching each other across the cover. And you know, this was not just a symbol. This was a pattern of something that was happening in heaven. This is an exact description of what was happening in heaven. Um, but what happened on earth was, as we know in heaven, God sits upon the cherubim. So in this most holy place, the presence of God was actually revealed there. The Bible says, he says, I myself, I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. So sitting on the, um, the cherubim was a cloud. There was an actual cloud in the holy of holies that was on earth. So this was not a mere symbol. That cloud, um, theologians tell us, was um, the, the throne of God in cloud-veiled visibility. In other words, if you penetrated that cloud, that cloud was actually a portal to heaven. That cloud was an interdimensional portal to heaven. We see so many different incidents in the journey in the wilderness. When Moses entered the cloud, he entered into heaven. So heaven was revealed on earth and it was covered in a cloud. In fact, a few 
chapters earlier, when Moses, or when the priesthood was being dedicated to the Lord, the cloud of God's presence was revealed. If you look at Leviticus chapter 9 verse 24, as they dedicated the priests to the Lord, the Bible says in Leviticus 9.24 that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So fire came out of the cloud from the very throne of God in heaven. Fire came out and came through the cloud and consumed the offering that was um, being sacrificed. So, this was no mere symbol. God said to Aaron, I myself will be present in the cloud. So, whatever was going on in the tabernacle, even though it was physical, it had a spiritual significance. Look at verse 3. It says, when Aaron enters the sanctuary area, which is in the outer court, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So, first of all, he had to bring um, animals for his own sin and then animals to represent the sins of the people. Okay, because he could not um, um, atone or could not serve as high priest in the Holy of Holies without his own sins being atoned for first. So he had to bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. So you see that the priest is attired from top to bottom in linen. What is the significance of linen? In Ezekiel 44 verse 18, the Bible tells us the significance of linen. Linen is the attire of the priests because the priests must not sweat. The priest must not sweat. Uh, and I believe that this is speaking about grace. Everything that the priest is doing in the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people, the, if, the efficacy of that has nothing to do with the power of the priest. Okay? It speaks about the grace of God. It is 100% grace. Atonement is not going to be obtained by the strength of man but by the power of God. So as the priest came into the Holy of Holies, he was dressed top to bottom in linen. He is not meant to sweat. It is not about the strength of man. It is God and God alone that is atoning for the sins of his people. Let's continue. Verse 5 says, Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So he has his own sin offering and burnt offering. And then he takes two male goats from Israel for a sin offering and a ram for 
a burnt offering. So when this says, when the Bible speaks about two of something, the Lord is using this to illustrate the dual function of the animal. But metaphorically, it's actually one, okay? It's one goat with two functions. So he brings two goats to illustrate the functions that that goat actually represents. And we're going to see more of that duality demonstrated as we continue to read the story. Verse 6 says, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making him right with the Lord. So what makes him right is the shedding of the blood of the sin offering. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. This was for Israel. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be offered as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. We're going to talk more about the two goats in a minute, but we know that one is going to carry, is going to be a, a, a sin offering, is going to be presented to the Lord as a sin offering, and the other one is going to carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. And I'll explain um, about that a bit later on. It says, Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the, the scapegoat, chosen by Lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord when it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness. The people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So what was going on here, through the sacrifices, Aaron was going to be purified. You know, the blood is given for the atonement of the soul. Aaron was going to be purified and the people of Israel were going to be purified as blood was offered from animals without blemish. Let's go to verse 11. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he shall take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and pour it on the burner and the incense behind the inner uh, curtain. There in the Lord's presence, he will put incense on the burning coals so that a cloud of incense will rise above, um, over the ark's cover, the place of atonement that rests on the ark of covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. Wow. Now, this was not a joking matter. If he did not follow the instructions to the letter, he would be killed. The holiness of God will extinguish his life. So follow what's happening here. Before he begins to offer blood for the people, he has to kill the bull for his own sin offering. And then take the blood of the bull into the Holy of Holies. Now, no flesh will dwell in the presence of God. So before he had the opportunity to even offer the blood 
on the mercy seat, which is above the ark. Um, if he did not follow the protocol, as soon as he walked into the Holy of Holies, he would be killed. So the Lord says that the first thing you must do is carry a censer of incense. Okay? And as soon as you enter the Holy of Holies, before you even have the opportunity to get to the ark, to touch it with blood, to atone for your own sins, put some incense on the coals of fire so that there will be a cloud of incense. I believe the incense was to mask the scent of sin temporarily until the blood was offered. So he came into the, into the Holy of Holies. As soon as he entered, he put incense on, um, on, the, on the burning coals. The whole place was filled with a smoke of, fragrant, uh, of fragrance, which masked his sin. And under that cloud of incense, he approached the ark with the blood that was meant to atone for his own sin. Verse 14 says, Then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his finger in it, and sprinkle it on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with his finger in front of the atonement cover. You know, seven in scripture is the number of perfection. Is the number of perfection. This blood wasn't perfect, but the protocol was perfect. It was only blood that could atone for sin. So he would sprinkle the blood seven times to atone for his own sin. Verse 15 says, Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people. So now that his sins have been atoned for, he will now go back out to the outer court and kill the first goat as a sin offering for the people. Remember, the second goat was going to be kept alive. And then he will carry its blood into the inner curtain. You see, he doesn't need to um, have a cloud of incense anymore because his own sins have been covered. So he can now walk into the Holy of Holies with the blood um, that was going to be offered for the sins of the people. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place. He will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of Israelites. Verse 17 says, no one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony or the atonement ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. So after doing this purification, the offering of the sin offering, then Aaron must come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He will do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat and putting it on the horns of the altar of sacrifice. Then he will sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. So the people were going to be made holy. The people were going to be purified. 
their sins were going to be atoned for by blood and blood alone. When Aaron had finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle on the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. Remember, one goat's blood was offered to purify the sins of the people. The other goat was kept alive and the sins were confessed unto this goat and this goat would be driven into the wilderness. Verse 22 says, as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back to the tabernacle, he must take off um, the linen garments he is wearing when he entered the most holy place, and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. He must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. Very specific protocol. Very specific protocol. And the Lord said, if you follow this protocol, you will not die. And the sins of the people will be atoned for. And I am going to be there myself, um, you know, in the midst of what is going on. Now, let's talk briefly about this scapegoat or this goat that is released into the wilderness of Azazel um, after the sins of the people have been confessed upon it or transferred to it. Now, first and foremost, God is not making an offering to a demon god here. Um, because the, the, um, the goat is not killed, okay, is released to the wilderness of Azazel. But let's talk a little bit about Azazel. Now, according to the book of Enoch, now the book of Enoch is not in the canon um, um, of the Bible. However, um, that book is actually referenced in the Bible, um, in the book of Jude, the prophecy of Enoch where he sees the Lord coming with 10,000 saints is actually in the book of Enoch and is referenced there. But anyway, I'll refer to the book of Enoch because he speaks specifically about Azazel. Azazel, according to the book of Enoch, was one of the fallen angels referred to in Genesis chapter 6 who came down to sleep with women and sired a race of giants in the earth. Azazel was actually the ringleader of these guys that decided to come down and leave their heavenly estate and sleep with women. But when God was judging these angels, he made this statement in, in chapter 10 of Enoch's book. It says, the Lord said to Raphael, which is one of the archangels of heaven, he said, bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the darkness. 
make an opening in the desert or in the wilderness, which is in Dudael, and cast him there, and place upon him rough and jagged rocks, and cover him with darkness, and let him stay there forever, and cover his face so he will not see light. And he will be thrown into the judgment, into the fire, on the day of the great judgment. So the children of Israel knew about Azazel, knew about the book of Enoch. The, well, the wilderness of Azazel, when the Bible speaks about the wilderness of Azazel, it's speaking about a place of abandonment, a place where there is no light forever, a place of utter darkness. So when, this, um, when the sins of the people were confessed on the, on the live goat or the scapegoat, and this goat was released to what the Lord called the wilderness of Azazel, what God is illustrating here is that the scapegoat which carried the sins of the people will be released to the wilderness of forgottenness, okay? The wilderness of forgottenness. Never again, the place that will never again receive the light of day. Hallelujah. So God was illustrating what David captured in Psalm 103 verse 12, where he said he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. So this scapegoat carried the sins of the people into a place of forgottenness. Your sins and iniquities he will remember no more. As soon as the first goat's blood was offered for a sin offering, the sins of the people were atoned for, the people were purified, their sins were covered, and the other goat, their sins were carried away into the place of forgottenness. Amen. Now let's look at verse 27. I'll read 27 to 30. It says, The bull and the goat presented as sin offerings, whose blood Aaron takes into the most holy place for purification ceremony, will be carried outside the camp. The animal's hides, internal organs, and dung are all to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water before returning to the camp. On the tenth day of the month, of the appointed month in early autumn, you must deny yourselves. You know, this was the only time that the whole of Israel was required to fast on the Day of Atonement. Neither native-born Israelites nor foreigners living among you may do any kind of work. This is a permanent law for you. On that day, offerings of purification or atonement will be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. Hallelujah. He said, you will be purified in the Lord's presence from all your sins. You see, it wasn't the energy of the priest. The priest was dressed in linen. It was the efficacy of the blood. He said, I've given you the blood for the atonement of your souls. And that blood um, represented the pure soul that was offered as a result of the blood that was shed. You know, this process that we have examined illustrates the concept of substitutionary atonement. The necessity of judgment upon the innocent to provide a covering for the guilty. So an innocent lamb 
an innocent bull, an innocent goat, the soul of that innocence is offered to, um, to satisfy God's justice. The soul of the innocent is offered to provide a covering for the guilty. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission. There is no restoration of fellowship um, for sin. Now, this process, though perfect, had one flaw. The flaw, the protocol was perfect. But the soul that was offered, the blood that was offered wasn't. Um, because the blood of a bull, the soul of a goat, the soul of a heifer, can, can never adequately atone for the sin of humanity. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation from verse 1. We need to understand this. This is what gives us boldness before the presence of God. The understanding of the efficacy of blood. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, I'll read the New Living Translation because it's easier to understand. It's op it opens it up to us. It says the old system under the law of Moses, was only a shadow. Everything we've just read was only a shadow. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, then the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once and for all. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, or were you pleased with them? though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put in the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus once for all time. Once for all time. You see, the blood of goats and bulls the souls of these pure animals could not adequately atone. It covered man's sin for a year and prevented the judgment of God, but it did not change the man. It did not change the man. It just covered their sin, so God didn't judge that sin. They were, their sin was atoned for, as it were. They had access to the covenants of God, but it did not change them. It did not change their insight. In fact, they had the same consciousness of sin. It did not empower a changed life. So they had to offer the sacrifices 
every year. The, excuse me, the blood of bulls and goats was received as a down payment until the soul of a sinless man could be offered that would permanently atone for the sin of humanity. You see, as it stood, no man could atone for the sins of humanity because all had sinned. But in order for the sins of humanity to be atoned for perfectly in the presence of God and fulfill God's justice, a sinless man had to come and had to offer his soul to God once and for all. And that would solve the problem forever. You see, in all of the Old Testament, nobody that died in the Old Testament could go to heaven. They couldn't go to heaven because their sins were not atoned for. Their sins were covered. Their sins were not actually forgiven. They were covered. So when they died, all the men of old, all the holy men of, of old in the Old Testament, when they died, they, they went into a place in Hades, which is the place of departed spirits, a compartment of Hades called Abraham's bosom. And it was a place of peace. And they, just, they could see across a chasm um, the place of torment, but it was still in the place of departed spirit in the regions of darkness. And it was in that place, as we saw in Luke 16, with Abraham speaking to um, Lazarus and the rich man. Um, in that place, in Abraham's bosom, they waited for the blood of the perfect lamb to be offered. Because without that blood, their sins could not actually be atoned for. They couldn't be changed. There was no born-again person. There was no new creation. Because the blood of the Old Testament only covered their sin. And that's why John, when he saw Jesus for the first time, um, he exclaimed with a loud voice. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, look, behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. In fact, in the New King James, it has two exclamation marks. In the Passion Translation, it has three exclamation marks to show exactly how excited John was. This was a game changer. In the Passion Translation, it says the very next day, John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized. And he cried out. He said, look! Exclamation. There he is. God's Lamb. Exclamation. He will take away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Jesus was the game changer for all humanity. All the righteous dead from Adam to John the Baptist, after John died, all waited in Abraham's bosom for the blood of Jesus to be shed. Look with me at Romans chapter 3 verse 23 to understand this. Romans 3, 23 to 26. In verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is, Christ, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation speaks about the satisfaction of justice by his blood, that's the blood of Jesus through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over 
the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be justified, the, uh, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is quite a phenomenal scripture. And we need to unpack it carefully to understand what it's saying. I love the, the Passion Translation of verses 25 and 26 because it actually makes it very clear. It says, Jesus' God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away sins. And now he's our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy. For God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect demonstration, listen, of God's justice. Because until now, until when? Until now. He had been so patient, holding back his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of all those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. And when the season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy. To offer up his own son. So now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Hallelujah. This is a legal transaction, a legal process. You know, um, it was God's plan that Jesus will come and die. Without the shedding of the blood of Jesus, there can be no forgiveness of sin. There is no salvation anywhere else. The blood of bulls and goats could not save humanity. God took that blood and covered their sins and exhibited great tolerance and forbearance. And he waited until Jesus offered his blood. And when the perfect blood of Jesus was offered, which alone could atone for the sins of humanity, God could justly forgive all those in the Old Testament. All those in Abraham's bosom could be justly forgiven. The mercy of God found expression through the shed blood of Jesus to provide justice, to act in justice and justly declare us righteous and in right standing with him based on the offering of the blood of Jesus. All the sins of the Old Testament were covered in hope, waiting until they could be justly forgiven. All the righteous dead waited in hope in Abraham's bosom until the Redeemer would come. And he did. Praise the Lord. He did. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, Peter said, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last days for you, who through him believe in God, 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So Jesus was appointed for this. But he, he was offered as a lamb without blemish. You know, this is why Satan tempted the Lord. Because if he could get Jesus to sin even once, then, um, you know, he could no longer be an offering for sin of humanity because he himself would need a redeemer. The shedding of his blood was offering, was the offering of his pure soul forever. The shedding of his blood was the offering of his pure soul forever. The equity that blood has in the spirit, the equity that blood has in the spirit is because of the preciousness of the soul that was being offered. Okay? The shed blood of Jesus um, was the way in which his soul could be offered because as the blood was shed, his soul was ejected as an offering for sin. So the equity of the blood, the real estate that the blood gives is equivalent to the quality of the soul that was being offered. It had to be a pure soul. Otherwise, atonement will not be possible for the sins of humanity. Isaiah actually saw this through prophetic insight. In Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, he says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him, to bruise Jesus. He put him to grief. He says, when you make his soul, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Hallelujah. He was made to be sin for us. The Lord allowed him to suffer and die. But the, the, the efficacy of the cross is not the fact that Jesus died physically. The efficacy of the cross is the fact that through his shed blood, his pure spirit was received by God as an offering for sin. Hallelujah. As an offering for sin. You know, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Yes, we're reading a few scriptures today. But we need to understand this. In Hebrews 9:11, the Passion Translation puts it this way. It says, but now the anointed one has become the king priest of every wonderful thing that has come. For he serves in a greater, more perfect, heavenly tabernacle not made by man. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all. Not with the blood of animal sacrifices, but with the sacred blood of his own sacrifice. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. I'll read that again. He says, he alone has made our salvation secure forever. One tradition said he has secured eternal redemption. Note those words, eternal redemption for us. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls, goats, and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly from their ceremonial impurities. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For by the power of the eternal spirit, he has offered himself or his soul to God as the perfect sacrifice. 
and now frees us from our dead works to worship and serve the living God. You know, I, I love the words eternal, eternal. He says, he alone made our salvation secure forever. He offered his heart, his, his life, his soul through the eternal spirit. And through that sacrifice of his soul, he has now redeemed us forever. Hallelujah. The Bible says his soul was offered once for all. His soul was offered once and for all. And he went into the heavenly holy of holies. He went into the heavenly holy of holies and he purified the utensils of worship in the heavenly holy of holies. Now, now let's look at this. Um, let's unpack this even further. You know, it says that the priest of the Old Testament went into uh, the earthly holy of holies and, and cleansed everything with blood. Um, but Jesus went into the, the perfect tabernacle. He went into the perfect tabernacle and forever, once and for all, he procured salvation for us. Now, let's see how this happened. Remember that incident that took place on the day of resurrection where, and this is documented in John 20, where Mary goes to the tomb and she doesn't see the Lord. And she puts her head in the tomb and she sees um, two men. And, um, you know, she, she, um, they, she's crying and they say to her, why are you crying? Uh, and she said, the, the, she sees two, sees two angels, they ask her, why are you crying? She says, because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have put him. And then she turned to leave and she saw somebody who looked like a gardener. It was actually the Lord Jesus. And, and he said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? And, and, uh, and he said, who are you looking for? And she said, sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will go and get him. And the Lord said to her, Mary, in that so familiar way that he had called her so many times. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, uh, which is Hebrew for teacher. But then the Lord said something quite curious. He said, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascend to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. So Jesus had just been resurrected. He had not ascended to the Father yet. This was not the final ascension. This was going to happen um, sort of 40 days later. Um, but he had risen from the dead. He had been resurrected. His blood, he had been the perfect sin offering. He had been the perfect sin offering. He had carried away our sins. Atonement had been completed. Remember, atonement means to restore fellowship by making equitable reparation for the injury caused. He had resurrected Divine justice had been satisfied. Atonement was complete. You know, there are actually two aspects to the equation of atonement. The first is the aspect of redemption, which Christ um, procured at the cross. Redemption is for us. Redemption is for us. Redemption means to buy us back. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.14 that through his death, he destroyed him that had the power of death, even the devil. Okay? He took 
the keys of hell and death from the devil. He broke the authority and the power of Satan over our lives. The Bible in Paul's letter to the Colossians says he has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has planted us into the kingdom of his dear son. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, that for this reason, the Son was made manifest, that he would untie us from the domination of darkness. So that was the first part of atonement, which he procured through his death, burial, and resurrection. He procured redemption for us. The second part of atonement was actually not for us. It was actually for God. The second part of atonement is called justification. Justification was actually for God because justification is made up of two legal terms called propitiation and reconciliation. Propitiation speaks about God's justice being satisfied. Through the offering of his pure soul, the justice of God required for man to be justly declared righteous was satisfied. So justification was for God, redemption was for us. Propitiation, he satisfied God's justice. Reconciliation, God was in Christ reconciling us to himself. So he bought us from the authority of darkness. He freed us from Satan's power and he satisfied God's justice and reconciled us back to God. Hallelujah. In his resurrection, he had atoned for the sin of mankind. But he said to Mary, Mary, don't cling to me yet because I am yet to ascend to the Father first and to present myself to the Father. Now, what was he talking about? What was he talking about? Look at Hebrews 9 verse 23. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to Mary, don't cling to me yet. Yes, I've resurrected. Yes, I've procured the salvation of humanity, but I must ascend to my father first. I must present myself to the father. This is what he meant. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. I'm reading the New Living Translation. It says, this is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. So the tabernacle on earth was a symbol of the real thing that was in heaven. Now, of course, within the earthly tabernacle, God still, God's presence was revealed in a cloud-veiled visibility. But in the heavenly tabernacle, his presence was revealed fully. There's a heavenly tabernacle, and that's where Jesus went. And that heavenly tabernacle needed substance that was purer than the blood of animals. Verse 24 says, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf. And he did not enter to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of this age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. He went before God in the heavenly holy of holies. And he offered, the Bible says, himself. He offered himself. He appeared before God as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. How did he purify the heavenly utensils? Because here it says that the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. How did he purify the heavenly utensils? Did he, did he go into heaven with his physical blood? No, he did not. Like I said earlier, blood speaks about what the offered soul represents. By the offering of his perfect soul, he cleansed the instruments of worship in heaven. By the offering of his perfect soul, when he presented himself to the Father at his resurrection, having procured eternal redemption for us, he cleansed the instruments of worship in heaven. He satisfied God's requirements for the way of Eden to be opened again. Relationship had been, had been restored as the sin of humanity had been perfectly atoned for. All the sins of the past, all the sins in the present, all the sins of the future have been perfectly atoned for by the soul of the pure, um, of the pure Lord Jesus Christ. He offered his life once, but his soul is offered forever for humanity. I'll say that again. He offered his life once. But that soul that ascended to God as an offering for sin is still in heaven as an offering to God for sin. Forever for humanity. In heaven right now, he is still the Lamb of God. His soul is still the offering for sin. He appears in heaven right now as the perpetual offering for sin. Look at what John saw as I bring this to a close. When John, um, through prophetic revelation, looked into heaven and heaven opened up to him and he saw the happenings in heaven. If you look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 in the Passion Translation, John said, I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll with writing on the inside and on the outside. And it was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw an incredibly powerful angel proclaiming with a great loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals. But no person could be found living or dead in all of creation. No one was worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. So I broke down weeping with intense sorrow because there was found no one worthy to break open the scroll and read its contents. Then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David, he has conquered. He is worthy. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now listen, verse 6. It says, then I saw a young lamb standing in the middle of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. He appeared to have been slaughtered, but was now alive. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the ends of the earth. 
He saw the lamb in heaven right now. He looked at the lamb. The lamb had resurrected, but the lamb appeared to be slaughtered. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. He still has the marks of sacrifice upon him. He's still the Lamb of God. He's still our offering for sin for all eternity. You know, the Bible says that we have come now to the Zion realm. This is Hebrews chapter 12. It says we've come to the Zion realm right now. And it begins to talk in Hebrews 12 about the things that we have come to. And one of the things he says we have come to in verse 24, he says we have come to Jesus who established a new covenant with his blood, sprinkled upon the mercy seat, blood that continues to speak from heaven. Forgiveness, a better message than Abel's blood that cries from the earth, justice. He says the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of the Lamb, the blood still continues to speak in heaven. It's a perpetual offering for sin. He only died once, but his soul is a perpetual offering for sin. For all eternity, Jesus will maintain the title as the Lamb of God. For all eternity, he will still look, he will still carry within his spiritual body the vestiges of, of the, the shed blood of the slaughter on Calvary. His soul is still an offering for sin. You know, the advocate ministry of Jesus, standing beside the Father as our high priest intercessor, is the blood speaking, the voice of the blood. The voice of the blood is the expression of the soul whose blood was shed. When the Bible says that the blood speaks, what he's saying is that the soul that was shed, or the, the soul whose blood was shed, is before God right now speaking. It's not the blood that is just talking. No, the blood, the life of the soul is in the blood. When he says the blood speaks, he's, he's saying that the, the soul whose blood was shed is standing in heaven as an offering for sin and he's speaking. So the whole of Jesus' advocate ministry the whole of Jesus' intercessory ministry in heaven is the blood speaking. It is his soul speaking to God. I can prove this to you. If you look at um, Revelation chapter 6 verse 9, and I need to bring this to a close. In Revelation 6 verse 9, it says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, it says, I saw under the altar... The souls of all who have been martyred for the word of God and for their faithful, for being faithful in their testimony. Now they are in heaven uh, and, and they are, the souls, uh, the Bible says, were under the altar. It says, those souls shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world? and avenge our blood for what they have done to us. Then a white robe was given to each one of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. So the souls were in heaven speaking to the Father. 
And they were speaking about their blood that was shed. Okay? And they were asking for vengeance. Hallelujah. In like manner, the soul of Jesus that was offered for our sins still speaks in heaven. It speaks about mercy. It speaks about our, 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 his advocacy of us. It speaks about our justification. It speaks about our purification. It speaks before God as the fact that once and for all, we have been reconciled to God. The voice of Jesus as our advocate is because his blood uh, is because of his offered soul that speaks on our behalf. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Verse 19 says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, no longer counting people's sins against them. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The blood of Jesus that was offered through the eternal spirit procured eternal atonement for us. We have been redeemed. We have been bought back. Satan has no authority over our lives anymore. We have been justified. And under justification, God's, God's righteous justice has been satisfied. And then we have been reconciled to God. Hallelujah. He does not count our sins against us anymore. You know, the high priest in the Old Testament never inspected the people. God never inspected the people. He always inspected the, the lamb. As long as the lamb was without blemish, the blood of that lamb, the soul of that lamb, uh, was an, uh, was, had potency and, and was efficacious to cover their sins. In like manner, the Lord does not, does not examine you anymore. The Lord examines the efficacy of the blood of the Lamb. And, and when you are in Christ, he looks at Christ. Yes, indeed, as we, as, we, as we embrace the truth of what Christ has done, like Paul says, that, that um, he, he, said, he, he says that the, the, the love of Christ constrains me or compels me because I thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. You know, as we embrace the truth of what Christ has done for us, we will dedicate our lives to live for him. But you see, what Jesus has done, he has done once and for all. Your sins have been forgiven. His blood speaks on your behalf. Um, his, his soul speaks on your behalf forever. Forever he's the Lamb of God that has taken away the sins of the world. We've come to the end of this broadcast right now, but I want us to meditate on the truth, the implications of this truth. You are not going to obtain righteousness for yourself. Um, restoration has been obtained for us. Access has already been procured. A new and living way has been opened up to us, and we have boldness to come into the throne because of the blood. Hallelujah. Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, I am going to title the message, Trading Places. And that is when we are going to look at the implications of this blood. What does it give us access to? We have established judicially what was done in the Old Testament and what Jesus did in the New. We have established judicially. We have looked at the copy and the substance. We know what the substance is. When we speak of the blood of Jesus 
uh, and the efficacy of the blood. We know what it means. As the blood was shed, his pure soul was offered to God and was received by God as satisfaction uh, and completeness of atonement. Now we're going to start trading with that blood. Hallelujah. We're going to start trading with that blood. And that is what we're going to look at next week. I want to encourage you to meditate on the truth of the word. Um, you know, we access everything, the faith. The grace has already provided, but it is by faith we access these things. So let us meditate on these truths, um, ruminate over them, ask the Spirit of God to light your candle and enlighten your darkness, um, that these truths will be established in your heart um, as, as reality, because indeed they are. You know, Satan will never deceive you anymore. The hordes of hell will never have any basis to deceive you anymore when you fully embrace the truth of who you are in Christ and what the, the blood of Jesus speaks on your behalf. Well, God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the word we've received today. As we meditate on this truth, we ask you, O oh God, to light our candle and lighten our darkness. Open our eyes to see the Lord Jesus at the throne of God as the Lamb of God who speaks on our behalf. Thank you, because the, the blood speaks concerning our righteousness, our qualification. We have been qualified by the blood of Jesus. We give you thanks, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And uh, please remember, um, we still have um, our fast until the 21st of July. It's not too late to join us. Uh, check out our website. Um, for information about the theme of the fast and the, uh, our schedule of prayer. We're praying every night. Uh, we're praying over the weekend. Please join us for this. An investment in the Spirit will always uh, produce life in your life. All right? God bless you and have a wonderful week.